Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Well, again, welcome to the Grove. My name is Stephen. I'm the pastor here, and we are in week two of a sermon series called Comparison Trap. If you were not here last week or if you have forgotten, let me give you kind of a recap of what we talked about last week. Last week, we introduced this idea about how deadly, how dangerous this idea of comparison is. It's something that we inherently just instinctually do. We've probably done it our entire lives. We look to the people left of us. We look to the people right of us. And we begin to make comparisons to gather information about how we're doing. Because ultimately, that's the question we're after. We just want to know how we're doing. We want to know if we're enough, if we're, if we're okay. And so you look at the people to your left, and you look at the people to your right. Maybe you look at the house across the street or the car that your buddy drives or the type of vacations that your brother-in-law goes on with his family. And you use all of that data to formulate an opinion about where you are in your life and are you where you need to be. So again and again and again, all throughout our lives, we make these comparisons. The problem is comparison is actually a trap. And the reason that it's a trap is because it's really easy to enter and it's hard to escape. And we talked about the reason that it's so difficult to escape is because as you pursue more in whatever category that you're comparing yourself in, as you begin to maybe have a better career, advance on the ladder, buy nicer things, dress with finer clothing, date different people, As you pursue more, what you find is that no matter how much more you are, there's always somebody, there's always someone in your life who's more fill in the blank than you. Smarter, richer, more successful, funnier, better liked, whatever the category is or whatever the categories are for you, there's always always somebody more than you. There's always somebody that you could catch up to. And then once you catch up to them, then there's somebody ahead of them. And once you get to them, then there's somebody ahead of them. And it never stops. And so what we talked about is if you base your entire satisfaction of your life, if you base your happiness and identity based on how you compare to other people, you end up in this place that's empty and hollow and lacking substance and meaning. Because you can never acquire and gain enough stuff to stop. There's never an end to the need to compare. Even if you were somehow to make it to the very top, even then there's no rest because there's always people coming up. There's never an end to this need to compare ourselves to other people. And so we pursue more and more and more and more. And the problem is that never ever ends. But that's not the only problem with comparison is this need to acquire more. What we're going to talk about today is not only does comparison affect your desire for more, comparison impacts your appreciation for, your understanding, the sense of value that you have on what you already do have. Maybe you've had this experience. Maybe it happened when you were younger around a dinner table and mom or dad is kind of dishing out the food and your siblings are sitting around or maybe it's at Thanksgiving dinner with your extended family and you get a helping of food and you're pretty excited about it till you see how much they gave the person sitting next to you. 
and you realize that what you've been given doesn't seem to be as much as the other person's been given, and then you start to pay attention to how much everybody else has been given, and you start to analyze how much you have versus how much everybody else has, and as they get more stuff, you feel like you've gotten less and less and less. Maybe you've had that experience, or maybe you have a child, or maybe you were a child. At Christmas, you counted presents, and as the presents were being distributed amongst all of the family members, you were like, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four. And when you got to you, independent of their collective value, you counted how many presents you had, and all of a sudden, the fact that you got presents wasn't enough because you didn't get as much presents as everybody else got, or you started to do the total of how much everybody's presents are worth, and you're like, well, wait a minute, they spent a whole lot more on their gifts than they did on my gifts. And somehow that like, ruins your ability to enjoy the gifts that you have. What we're gonna see is that comparison erodes our appreciation for the stuff that we have in our life. And in fact, what we find is that the more we compare, the less we have. The more we compare our lives to other people, the less what we do have matters and has value to us. There was an interesting study that was done about five years ago with the Happiness Research Institute, and they were analyzing people's satisfaction in their life based on their social media usage. And so they gathered 1,000 people together, and they asked 500 of them, half of the population, to just continue their regular social media usage. In particular, they were, talking, they were looking at Facebook, but I think this applies generally to all social media. And then the other half of the population, they said, okay, we want you to discontinue Facebook usage. Now, before that they sent them off to their week, they had them take an evaluation of their own happiness, their life satisfaction, and they measured them on things like anxiety and fear and depression and um, their productivity in their own life, their sense of worry, about the life and the world that they see and analyze. And so they had these baseline scores and then they sent them off on a week. One group got to use Facebook and social media as they regularly do, the other group abstained from all of it. This won't be surprising to you, and when they gathered everybody back together and they started to analyze the data, they had them take another test to measure their life satisfaction scores across these same areas. What they found is that there is a significant indicator that social media causes you to be less happy. In fact, if you use social media, you're 39% more likely to be less happy than the people who don't use it. That was just after one week of usage. People who abstained from social media for a week found that they were happier, they had, a, they had higher optimism about their life, they had a greater sense of satisfaction and appreciation for the things that they had been given, they were less fearful about the future, less anxiety and worry, they felt like they were better able to control their own destiny, all of these things, just from one week, one week of abstaining from social media. Now why is that the case? It's not just that they were busier than they normally were, or their attention spans were disrupted. There's something inherent in what social media does that I think speaks to this idea that the more we compare, the less we have. Because if you analyze the type of postings that people put on social media, rarely is it the case that people post their bad days, unless they're like looking for attention and want some condolences. If you do that, it's another sermon. But what you see is they post the very best version of the hundred photos that they took all in the same moment from the same pose, all of the vacation photos, all of the anniversary dates, all of the fun things that we do. It's a highlight reel of our lives. 
And so what we end up doing is we end up comparing people's highlights with our baseline. We're like sitting at home on a couch on a Tuesday evening and you're, you see these photos people post of their trip to another country. And you're like, oh, my life sucks compared to their life. Like I, need to like, I need to figure out a way to live the way everybody else is living. You know, but in reality, they're at home on the couch too. They just happen to be posting things that they did a couple of weeks ago. We compare ourselves to other people and what it does is it impacts our appreciation for the stuff that we have. Maybe you've noticed this in your relationships. You thought you had a great boyfriend. Till all of a sudden you, your friends started talking about their boyfriends. And you realize that their boyfriends seem to do more for them than your boyfriend does for you. And all of a sudden your evaluation of your own boyfriend starts to deteriorate in comparison to the evaluations of all of your friends' evaluations. What happens is the relationship you thought you had now seems less than compared to your impression of what everybody else has. This happens in every category of our life. You think you're, that you're doing good. And then you see somebody else is doing better than you. And then you start to reevaluate, well, maybe I'm not doing as good as I thought I was. Man, I just, I got a new promotion. This is awesome. I'm so excited about my new job. And then you get it on your phone with your buddy and he's like, yeah, I totally changed careers. And I'm making 10 times more than I ever was. And now you're not as excited about your promotion. You're not as excited about what's happening in your life because of this need to compare to other people. The more that we compare our lives to others, the less we feel like we have and the less value we place on ourselves. And what ends up happening is this comparison is poison and it begins to corrode and erode all of the value of anything that we have. And if you stay on this road long enough, you end up not wanting anything that you have, not appreciating anything that exists because you've been caught in this trap of comparison. I mean, it happens with our families. It happens with our kids. I thought you had pretty good kids. I have, this, I have the prettiest baby ever. Until you saw your friend's baby, and then you're like, I have the second prettiest baby ever. <laughs> Until you see your other friend's baby, and you're like, oh no, this is not going the right direction. And it's all because of this stupid comparison thing. So today I want to walk us through a scripture. It's a story, it's kind of a metaphor that Jesus paints about people who are caught in this same trap that we are. And at the end of it, I think we'll be able to identify how we can start to get out, how we can begin to unwind this comparison trap in our own lives. So this is out of the Gospel of Matthew, this passage we're going to look at. There's kind of four Gospels or four accounts of Jesus' life. The teachings that he said, the deeds that he's done, and this is just one account from a guy named Matthew. And it's towards the end of Jesus' life, and Jesus is telling some stories about kind of his observations of human nature. And this is the one we're going to look at today. Jesus says this. He says, an estate manager, he went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage, and he sent them out to work. We could estimate this was probably sunrise, give or take, 6 a.m. He identifies some people who he recruits to work in the field for the day, and in return, kind of the exchange is you work in the field for a day, and I'll, I'll pay you a daily's wage. Later, about 9 o'clock in the morning, the manager saw some other men hanging around the town square, and they were also unemployed. And so he told them, hey, if you want... I'll put you to work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you a fair wage. 
And so they're like, well, sure, we won't do anything else for the rest of our day, so we'll be happy to make a little bit of money. And they went too. And this estate manager, he did the same thing at noon, found some more people, recruited them on the condition that he would pay them a fair wage and sent them out to the fields. And then again at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. And then again at 5 o'clock, he went back and he found others still standing around, not doing anything with their time. And he said, listen, if you want to come work for me, I'll pay you a fair wage. And he sent them to the vineyard as well. So he's recruited people, this estate manager's recruited people to work in the vineyard at 6 o'clock in the morning, at 9 o'clock in the morning, at noon, at 3 p.m., and at 5 p.m. There's all these different groups of people who are out working in the vineyards. Some have been working a long time. Some have been working an average amount of time, and some not that long at all. Well, as you can imagine, time comes where the day's over, and it's time to kind of settle up all of the payments. So the day's work was over, and the vineyard instructs his foreman. He says, call the workers in. We're going to pay them their wages, but we're going to start with the last ones hired and work our way on to the first. So the people that were hired at 5 o'clock, they showed up. And the foreman says, here you go. Here's your full day's wages. And they were like, hey, a full day's wage for, you know, an hour-ish of work. That's a pretty, that's a generous deal. So you can imagine all of these guys standing in line and the guys who got hired at 5 o'clock, they show up and they get the paycheck and it's more than they thought. And so then the next guy's hired at 3 o'clock, they walk up and they get their paycheck and on and on it's happening. Well, as these men are receiving their money, the guys at the very end of the line, the ones that were hired at 6 a.m., they're like, wow, he paid the guys who showed up at 5 o'clock? He paid them a full day's wage? Can you imagine what he's going to pay us? Like if they got a full day's wage, I mean, we got to at least get double, maybe triple. This is going to be good. I, this is way more than I thought we bargained for. So they, they assumed. They made this assumption that they were going to get more. But they too were paid a day's wage. Now you can imagine what's about to happen. Some of you, you've heard this story. You know how it ends. For those of you that are clever, you already are starting to see the comparisons to our own lives. Some people thought they were going to get more than they got. Some people got more than they thought they were going to get. And everybody's trying to compare themselves to each other about, well, did I get as much as you got? And is this fair? So when those who had been working the entire day, when they received their pay, they got a little angry. They started to voice their frustration to the manager. They show up and say, hey, listen, we need, we need to talk. Like, I know that we made an agreement that we would work all day for a day's wage, but what you did, that's not fair. They said these last workers, these guys that you hired at 5 p.m., they only put in an easy hour. And here's the line. And you just made them equal to us. We worked all day in the scorching heat. And because of what you gave them, which is what you gave us, you just made us all equal, and we don't feel like we're equal. Can you already see how comparison's beginning to erode their, their sense of what they've received? They got exactly what they bargained for. They got exactly what was fair. They worked a full day, and they got paid a full day's wages. Now, when this happens in our own lives, when we have stuff, why can't we just appreciate it for what it is? Why do we have this need to look left and look right and begin to compare to other people and say, well, they got a better deal and, you know, 
how, how come he got that job or she got that promotion or how come they're able to have kids and we're not and we've been trying for a long time? And we start to compare ourselves and come up with this equation of how much we're deserved, how much we're owed, what's right and what's wrong. And we bust out the ledger sheet because we think we're the ones who are doing the math. We think we're the ones who are supposed to keep score. But all that does is decrease the value of what we've received. The more we compare to what others have, the more it decreases our appreciation for what we do have. And so these workers are upset. They're mad at the manager. They say, listen, you haven't done us right. And then the manager gets to respond. And he says, friends, I haven't been unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? When I hired you at 6 a.m., didn't you nod your head and say, yes, I'll work all day for a full day's wage? To which they'd be like, yeah, we did. So he says, just take your money and get out of here. Go. Like, I don't have any time for this nonsense. I wanted to pay the last worker just as much as I paid you. Don't I have the right to do that? Don't I get to do what I want with what belongs to me? You don't get to keep score. I'm keeping score. And it doesn't have to be according to your sense of what's fair. It doesn't have to be according to your sense of how things should compare to each other. All that's happening when you compare what you've been, been given to what other people have received is you're decreasing the value of what I've given you. And then the manager ends with this. He says, I, I get to do with whatever I want with my stuff because it's my stuff. If I want to overpay them, I get to overpay them. But just because I overpaid them didn't mean I underpaid you. Or are you resentful because I'm generous? I think sometimes when scripture works at its best, it holds a mirror up for us to look at ourselves in. And it forces us to be confronted with some of the ugliness of our humanity, some of the ugliness of the way that our hearts operate. I don't think we ever have intentions to be resentful because of what we've received. I think there's some innate desire that we have to compare ourselves to make sure that where we are is okay. But what ends up happening when we compare ourselves is we end up treating the gift poorly. And as we treat the gift poorly, it reflects back on how we feel about the gift giver. And I think that's where the ugliness starts to come in. The manager looks at these men and says, are you resentful because I'm generous? And I think if we were really honest about some of the perspective we have about what we have, we'd admit that we're a little resentful about God's generosity towards other people. It doesn't feel fair. It doesn't feel right. It's not the way we would do it because we think that they've been given more than they should have been given. And the ugly equation of comparison means if someone else has been given more than they deserve, we've been given less than we deserve. And that's just not true. But even take it out of a, a context with God. Think about what this does to our relationships. Think about this equation of comparison in our own relationships. 
if someone else's marriage is better than they deserve, and you start to think yours is worse than you deserve, think about what that does to your, to your relationship. If you start to compare your husband or your wife to other people's husbands or wife, you're already devaluing what they do because you're only looking for the flaws. You're only looking for the shortcomings. You're only looking for the ways that they don't measure up to other people. You begin to poke holes in your perspective and appreciation for what you've been given. You begin to erode all of the good stuff. You begin to devalue all of the blessing that you have in your life only because you're trying to make sure that you're getting just as much as everybody else. Here's the ugly truth of comparison, particularly in this context. It leads to emptiness. And so the antidote to comparison is gratitude. Because that takes us to abundance. If you go back to what the manager says, he said, are you resentful because I'm generous? That resentfulness is anchored in comparison. And the, and the antithesis of resentment is appreciation and gratitude. Let me show you what this looks like. When you live a life of comparison, you live a life that's porous. You have a perspective that's constantly measuring yourself against everyone else looking at what everybody else has and realizing that they have all been given more than you've been given. And so the more you do this, the less it feels like you have. And so it doesn't matter how much you receive. It wasn't supposed to go all over me. It just keeps draining out of the bottom. It doesn't matter. You can just keep pouring and keep pouring and keep pouring. It doesn't matter how generous the gift giver is to you because you can never hold all that you've been given because you're constantly comparing yourself, seeing all of the ways that other people have more than you do. What does this lead to? Emptiness. This pitcher holds at least three times what this container holds. But guess how much is in this? Nothing. Because it's constantly filled with comparison. And it's constantly allowing the value of what it's received to drain out. On the other side, you have gratitude. Gratitude is the opposite of comparison. Comparison leads to emptiness. What does gratitude lead to? The more you pour, the more you can contain. The more you pour, the more you can contain. Until eventually, you end up with more than you can hold. There's no difference in the amount that's been applied. It's the same amount of water in both instances. The difference is the perspective. The difference is gratitude. Looks like I had an accident up here. <laughs> Someone's gonna click in like 20 minutes into the sermon and be like, what happened? <laughs> gratitude happened, that's what happened. Some of our lives, it feels this way. We keep asking God for more. And God's like, I don't know how much more you want from me. The issue isn't how much you've received. The issue is how much you appreciate. This comparison is a dangerous thing because it never ends. It's a bottomless pit. It either leads us to chasing after more and more and more, or it devalues everything that we have. Imagine how different this story that we just walked through would look 
If instead of being resentful towards the manager, the men were, they were grateful. Think of the difference. Instead of them standing there, eyeing the manager, thinking badly about the manager for his generosity towards the men, think about what would happen if they were grateful for what they had received. I cannot believe we got a full day's work. This is exactly what he promised. We are so lucky. We are so grateful. And these guys, they got the same thing. This is amazing. Look at how generous the manager is. They didn't deserve it and they got it. Like this is unbelievable. I'm coming back to work every day. Maybe I'll hide a little bit and show up a little bit later, but (laughs) maybe we should keep working here because this guy is so good. He's so generous. He gives far more than we deserve. Gratitude, it leads to abundance. There's always enough when we have the right perspective. And when we compare our lives to others, there will never be enough. You will never have enough, whatever it is. You can never become enough of whatever you're trying to become if you live your life comparing to others. It leads to an emptiness that no amount can fill. Think about what this would do for you your relationships if you switch this approach. Instead of your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your boss or whatever the relationship is, instead of them never being enough, them never being able to meet all of the needs that you have because of all of the things that you see other people's people doing, what if you were grateful for everything they did? Even if in the moment it doesn't feel like enough right now, what if you begin to shift that approach? Because the reality is nobody owes us anything. Honey, thank you for coming home when you said you would. I know it seems like like a small thing, but I'm grateful. Hey, I'm so, thank you for taking out the trash. Thank you for getting the kids dressed this morning. Thank you for, thank you for, thank you for. When you begin to be grateful for all of the things that everybody does for you in your life or all of the things that, the characteristics that people have in your life, your life starts to overflow. You start to have abundance because there's always more to be grateful for. There's always more to appreciate. There's always more. There's always abundance. When you treat everyone in your life with gratitude, think about what this would do with your relationship with God. For some of you, church has been a hard thing for you because of this resentment that you feel towards God. I don't want to go. I prayed and prayed and prayed and God didn't answer my prayer. Yeah, but you're still here. It may not be the life that you thought you were going to have, but you've got a life. No, God didn't heal your kid, but you still have a kid. What ends up happening when we're grateful with God is we begin to appreciate the things that we have that other people are praying to have. There's so much that we have in our lives that people are praying for in theirs. Just think about the life that we get to live. There are so many people who would trade places with us in an instant. When I say so many people, I'm talking about billions with a B of people. Billions of people would gladly trade places with us. And we're walking around with this empty mentality always looking for the way that we could be more or have more or do more. If we could switch our mentality, if we could live a life of gratitude, we'd realize that 
we have far more than we'll ever need. And we've been given far more than we deserve. So, how do we do this? What does this look like? There's a couple of quick, easy ways that I want to send you out with. To begin to shift your mentality from this comparative mentality to this mentality of gratitude and gratefulness. The first is simple. It's a gratitude journal. Whether it's in the morning or whether it's in the evening, whether you write it down or you list it in your head or type it out on your phone, it does not matter. It's the intent behind it that matters. It's spending time every day listing things you're thankful for. Listing things you're grateful for. What I would encourage you to do for this to have maximum effect is try not to repeat things more than once a week. If you list your kids one morning, don't list them the next morning. Not that you can't be grateful for them every morning, but what you will see is as you begin to expand the categories in which you think about the ways that you're grateful, you'll realize all of the abundance that God's giving you. So maybe it looks like this. Every morning, God, I'm going to wake up before I, my feet touch the floor. I'm going to list three things I'm grateful for. Or every night before I go to sleep, me and my spouse, we're going to lay in bed and we're going to name five things that we're grateful for. God, thank you for giving me such a funny kid. They have such a great personality. I'm so lucky to have them. Instead of, well, Jennifer needs to work harder in, in, in her math class and how are we going to make sure that she has all of the... There's a time and place to make sure that your kids are able to do all the things you want them to do. But what if for just a moment every day, you're like, God, thank you for the personalities you've given my kids. God, thank you that I get to go to work every day with people I care about. Thank you that I have a family that I mostly love most of the time. <laughs> that they're generally nice to get along with. If you catch them on the right weekend. All of a sudden, the world will turn upside down and it will overflow with abundance. That's just kind of a gratitude journal, a gratitude checklist. The other thing that you can do is you can have the same conversation around the dinner table. Parents, this is a great thing to do with your kids. Before we eat, we're all gonna list one thing we're grateful for today. It begins to open our eyes to all of the abundance around us. And the last is just a walking prayer that you can pray all the time, and it's super easy. God, thank you for blank. God, thank you that we got to church on time-ish. God, thank you for the fact that we have money in the bank account to go to lunch afterwards. God, thank you for this meal that I know that not everybody's gonna get. God, thank you that we have such a lovely car to drive around this town in. God, thank you for the home that we get to come back to. Thank you for all of the fun activities that we get to be involved in as a family or with my friends. God, thank you that I have friends. There are people who would kill for the friends that I have. God, thank you that I know that we've got food in the pantry for dinner tonight. God, thank you for the fact that we have enough abundance that we can't decide what show to watch tonight. We have so many options. God, thank you for the fact that we have a safe home and comfortable beds that we get to go to sleep in. The more that you practice this, the more that you will discover that you can appreciate. It never stops. Just like comparison there's never enough, you'll find that with gratitude, there is always more to be grateful for. It never ends. Imagine if we could get this right just for a week. Imagine if we could shift our perspective towards one of gratitude, the way that we could live in all of the abundance that God has given, the way that we could appreciate all of the things that we'd have. 
ultimately, how we feel about the gifts reflects how we feel about the gift giver. And so when we spend our lives comparing, devaluing, never having enough, being resentful towards the one who gave it, we miss out on something special and meaningful and life-changing. But when we begin to appreciate all that we've been given, all the generosity that exists in our life, all the abundance that God's offered, it will fundamentally change your relationship with God. It's a God you can now trust. It's a God that you can believe in. It's a God that you can go to in confidence knowing that this is a generous God. This is a good God. This is an abundant God. This God may not give you everything you ever asked for, but he's given you more than you ever thought. Gratitude will change your life. In comparison, will leave you empty. I hope you'll make the choice. Let me pray for our time together. Gracious God, it's in these moments that we're reminded just how great you are and reminded of the opportunity that we have to be grateful for you. Grateful for the way that you lead us. Grateful for the way that you love us. And grateful for the way that you have given us far more than we ever deserved. God, thank you for the greatest gift of all, that of your son. A gift that we will never deserve and we will never earn. And that's why we call it grace. God, thank you for you and for being so generous to us. Let us live a life of gratitude, recognizing all of the abundance around us. Help us with this, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.